We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 26 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And we have to start the show off, you know, with uh, obviously a, a pretty tough topic today. Jared Porter, the former Mets GM, has been fired, um, you know, for his, a story from ESPN where uh, he had sexually harassed a former reporter, is what it sounds like. Obviously, um, you know, a difficult issue to discuss. Number one, um, you know, our thoughts are, are with that former reporter and, and the person in this story that was harassed. Um, there is no way to defend Jared Porter in this case. It, it is, you know, obviously stalker levels, creepy, disgusting, every bad word you can associate with it. And, and quite frankly, a huge problem in the sports world today, you know, women that do work in uh, four leagues or, or in leagues that are, are predominantly uh, obviously male athletes, but male employees as well. Things like this happening is just it, it it's such a disgrace. It's a huge story um, for many, many different layers. It, it obviously is the main story centered around the Mets right now. As Joe and I sit here and record, Sandy Alderson has wrapped up. A press conference where he answered a lot of different questions uh, across the board here, and, and and it's just a dark cloud, not just over the Mets, but over sports in general. So, Joe, uh, you know, I don't want to just carry on into the next topic without without getting your two cents here, and I know, you know, you have a lot to say as well. Yeah, it's just really sad. Like like you said, I, I certainly feel for the female reporter that had to deal with this from Jared, and it's. Uh, it's not the only one. I mean, we don't know if Jared has done this to multiple people. Um, I, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to speculate on that, but this is just a rampant issue in the game of baseball and uh, frankly, all sports probably. Uh, I'm just much more in tune with baseball where, you know, it's a, it's a male dominated world and, you know, females want to get into the world of baseball and, it, it makes it so difficult when you have people like this and he's not the only one. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to lead to more women being comfortable coming out in regards, you know, we've, we've certainly seen that in the past with other situations. And I, I don't know if there's going to be more that come out, but you know, I, I embrace them doing so. So if, you know, certainly if you're a, a female reporter or you work for a, a front office or what, whatever your role may be, in a case like this, it's unacceptable. There's no other word to really describe it. And, you know, it, it's disgusting reading, you know, for me, reading what Jared did. And, you know, you used the word, it, it was straight up stalking. There's really not another way to put it. You know, he texted her that 
he saw her and she had to hide and uh, six That's terrifying was, terrifying he scared he scared someone out of baseball and you know this is this is not how the game needs to be progressing you know kim ang got hired by the marlins as the gm and you know that's a great step forward but we're still so far away there's not other candidates i mean sandy was asked straight up did you speak to any woman in regards to this gm job and he was just like no i mean it's unfortunate but they just aren't currently in that position and that needs to change and you know just overall respect it's not even just in sports it's just generally speaking you know Women should be able to work in any field that they want and not have to get sexualized and have men doing things like this. And it, it was just disgusting to read. And it, it frankly kept me up last night just thinking about it. And, you know, it, it's it's a real tough one. But like you said, we, ha- we had to address it. And I'm at the point where, you know, Jared Porter in a sense, has to be a thing of the past. But also, you know, we can't just forget about it because it's a problem in sports. And Jared, you know, is the one that it came out about. But I have to imagine this isn't the end of people coming out and, and speaking on this. But it's it's just a tough spot. And, you know, the Mets handled it as best they could. I know that there's people that think, the Mets may have should have been able to find out about this, but this was a you know private interaction between two people that seemingly like one other person may have known about. And shame on that person for not coming forward and and making it uh, as big a deal as it obviously is. But there's no way that the Mets could have known about this. And Sandy said as such that they essentially found out shortly before we did. So. They acted essentially as quickly as they could. Steve Cohen has said the right things through his couple tweets and statements that he's put out. And I thought Sandy handled himself fairly well in that press conference. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you have to move forward if you're the Mets. But people like me, people like you, uh, other people in sports media, and frankly, across the game of baseball, we need to be much more aware of this and... You know, we have to be standing up because this this game should have equality across the board, whether that's race, gender, sexual identity, sexual preference, all that stuff. None of that should be a deterrent. And right now, the way things are, women are deterred from progressing in the game of baseball. And that's that's a bad thing for the sport. So hopefully we can gain something from this. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, this woman got pushed out of the game into into the finance world because you know we we need more women in the game and they they need to they need to clean this up and it's i think it's not far from over but you know that's that's kind of where we stand i think absolutely i mean very well said and i think that baseball like it is in almost all aspects is behind in this front and you look at basketball and you know the NBA and the the NFL they have they're incorporating female coaches and referees and I think when you look at it with baseball that was a great question by Hannah Kaiser uh, from Yahoo Sports that you you said it was one that really caught my attention during the presser 
Sandy had said they got all glowing reviews of Porter's character, and she said, well, did you consult any woman in the process? And Sandy was very honest. You could tell it pained him to say, but he said, no, we didn't. And and she said, you know, maybe that's something to think moving forward. And I think, number one, that was a great point by her. It wasn't She wasn't attacking Sandy. She's just being honest. And on the flip side, I'm not going to sit here and defend the Mets or Sandy or try to, you know, do that for no reason. But I think, to be fair, they probably didn't know who to consult that worked with Porter that was a woman because there aren't enough woman, women working in front offices of baseball. So it really has magnified a lot of issues here. But like I said, we wanted to start the show at the top with that and really go through how frustrating it is. And once again, it, it is a terrible story, but in a sense, hopefully something can come out of it that this this is stopped and it can become a more progressive league. So we'll see where that goes. And it's something that we will keep an eye on. And I'm happy that Steve Cohen lived up to his words that they will not tolerate these things and they will act swiftly. You know, some people were saying, Hey, they should have done it last night. There are certain logistics you need to go through. They fired him for cause they said, and they acted quickly the following morning. So I'm glad they did. Now, we will get into some baseball today because wouldn't be the That's So Mets podcast without doing that. And if you're a female listener of the show, or even if you're not, and you do have questions for us about this instance, send them in. We're not going to hide from this story or not talk about this story. I know it's probably not everyone's favorite story, but it's too bad. You know, this is something that if, if people do want to interact with us over, uh, we're not going to be shy. So we encourage you to not be shy either. Now, the Mets did make a trade over this last week uh, for Joe. I know everybody loves to say it the wrong way. And Joe texted me right away and was like, this is how you pronounce it. Don't say it. <laughs> Don't say it like everyone thinks for, for Joey Lucchese. Did I nail it, Joe? You got it. Yeah. So for Joey Lucchese, a, a back end of the rotation starter, they sent over Andy Rodriguez, a, a prospect not regarded as a top 10 prospect in their system. And, and Joe will fill you in on everything Andy Rodriguez related in a bit. But this is a move that, you know, went a little under the radar because it was a three-team trade. And the Mets kind of sneak in there and get somebody that is very cost-controlled right now. You know, I believe minimum salary, and then he'll obviously go through arbitration. And and really somebody that now enters the mix to maybe compete for the fifth spot in the rotation or be that sixth starter uh, head-on with Steven Matz. So... While this might not get the obviously the headlines of a Lindor or Carrasco entering the fray, I think quietly this is a, a pitcher that yes, last year in the shortened season was was not good, but the two years before that, and and he's 27 years old, so younger guy, you know, an ERA in the low fours, which a lot of people scoff at that, Joe, and I, I'd sit there and go, man, if you you can consistently pitch in the low fours, you're going to find a job in baseball in a starting rotation. You might not be the number one, two, or three starter, uh, but you will easily find a job as a number four or five somewhere, especially as the Mets look to improve their defense uh, You know, over the rest of this offseason. So I thought this was an interesting ad. I-, I think it's one that, while right now it might not be the talk of town, who knows, maybe in July or August we're saying, hey, Lucchese is has been an arm that is our fifth starter that is going out there and giving us innings and we're winning some ball games with him. The reality about Joey Lucchese is he gives them flexibility and 
not only, like you said, he is making the minimum this year, and then we'll have three years of arbitration after that. So he's under control for four years. And, you know, he has two minor league options left. So if let's just let's just play that they're not adding any more major league starting pitching options, which they still could. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say they're done. But if, if it kind of resorts more to minor league depth from here on out, you know, you could have Lucchese versus Mats as a straight-up competition. And, you know, if Lucchese wins, you can shift Mats to the bullpen. If Mats wins, you have the option of either shifting Lucchese to the pen or sending him to AAA Syracuse. So you have some flexibility there. And that's what the Mets were preaching. And something that I know that Sandy Ellerson wants is that they have a deep 40-man roster, you know, that that goes beyond the 25 men you see on the field, you know, when all things are right. But there's going to be times when things aren't. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to get banged up. There's going to be, you know, various reasons why people miss starts. And, you know, no offense to the Corey Oswalds of the world, but, you know, you, you need to do better than that if you want to be a contender. So to me, I thought it was a sneaky move. And, you know, I don't think Lucchese is going to blow anyone's doors off, but, you know, don't even look at 2020 he threw five innings. Like, I mean, I, I through five innings, he spent, he spent more time at the alternate site as the Padres this year wanted to get more of a look at their young guys. So you saw, you know, Weathers, you saw Patino, you saw more young guys getting opportunities. So he spent more time at their alternate site, but like you said, 2018, 2019, you know, 408 ERA, 418 ERA, 26 starts, 30 starts. Like, getting a guy like this, you know, whatever you feel about him, I think ultimately he's a back-end type starter. But for the price that they paid, you know, Andy Rodriguez wasn't in my top 20 prospects before the Francisco Lindor trade. He obviously jumped in right after the trade. But I know MLB Pipeline had him 14th, I believe, in the system. And that was after the Lindor trade. And yeah, I mean, he's a catcher, first baseman, outfielder, you know, hit, had OPS over 800 last year uh, in 2019 when they actually had, you know, some minor league games in the Dominican. So he's a young guy. He's got a decent bat. They don't really know where he's going to play positionally. Um, there's no guarantee that a guy like that is even a major league player. So at that point, for a guy like Lucchese, this is, to me, almost kind of a no-brainer kind of deal. You know, take a guy with some upside. I don't think Andy Rodriguez is a guy that we're going to look back in two or three years and be like, I can't believe the Mets part parted with him. Uh, I guess I could be wrong, but that's that's kind of where I stand. And people I talk to are like, it's, it's, not, it's not a big loss for the system. So the Mets need to add starting pitching depth, and they added a capable body. I think that's the right way to put it, right? Is that it's a capable body. It is a piece that adds to the back end of the rotation. And in a time where we're constantly talking about money and the Mets, it's not because the Mets are cheap or anything anymore. It's just because they do have to be, you know, somewhat wise with the money that they take on in every move they make. Now, like you said, Joe, you know, there's there's two spots left on the 40. So I don't it's not like the Mets are going to be bringing in a ton of bodies on major league deals. But once again, they do have to be a, a little conscientious of of how much money is being taken on. So this is a deal that that quite frankly just made a lot of sense in my eyes and not going to 
you know, we always over not overreacted, but we always had a little bit of fear when Brody made moves like these, often for fourth outfielders. But anyway, any kind of move Brody made, it felt like they were always sending back a prospect, and you'd have to look him up right away and be like, "What did they just? What did they just do?" And in this case, it really didn't feel that way because, like you said, Andy Rodriguez was a guy that wasn't even in your top. The Mets don't even have a really good or deep farm system, so the fact that before the Lindor trade, he wasn't in your top twenty. It kind of says everything here, and I think that they absolutely need pitching. So I'll ask you a question about this. Do you think the Mets are done with the starting rotation? We know they're still looking for bullpen help, probably notably a lefty. We know they're still in on Springer, but when you look at the starting rotation, you know, Kluber went to the Yankees. Uh, Lester went to the Nationals. So some of the guys that are, are viewed as flyers because they've been hurt or haven't been good or, or just more fifth you know, penciled in as, as fifth uh, kind of guys in the rotation. What do you think's next for the Mets and their starting pitching staff? I think you're seeing kind of more things like this where, you know, maybe, I don't know if there's more trades in line, but I think they're looking for guys with minor league options, you know, maybe some semi-recent success and, you know, just having having more bodies. I don't, I don't envision them pursuing a James Paxton at, at this point after getting Carrasco and certainly with you know George Springer is as much as I I've tried to kind of deny that it will work over the last couple weeks it's it's a distinct possibility at this point uh, I don't I don't know that they will land him but I know they're squarely still in the mix so um, maybe I'm, I was just wrong all along on, on how they're going to do do that with Springer but yeah, I, I don't envision any major starting pitching additions anymore. Uh, I think you'll see more bullpen, center field, potentially third base, as we know Sandy has kind of been wishy-washy about how he feels about J.D. Davis. Uh, and speaking of bullpen, it actually just came out that Brad Hand fired his agent and got a new one. So I'm not sure what happened there. Mets were close with Brad Hand, and it kind of it kind of felt James McCanny to me. You know, like earlier in the offseason, Ken Rosenthal, Mets close to the deal with McCann, and then like nothing for days, and then the Angels are in, and oh, the Mets may not be close, and then, you know, the deal was struck. And I kind of felt, all right, maybe that's what's going to happen here with Hand is it was close, but that was kind of a perception, and, you know, it just took some more time, but now we fired his agent, so I don't know how that how that impacts the Brad Hand market now. Uh, is he kind of starting over from scratch or or what? So Brad Hand will certainly be a name to follow in regards to the Mets. But yeah, starting pitching-wise, I think you're going to see more back-end depth at this point. Uh, you're not going to be able to, I guess, fill every hole in one offseason. So they just have to pick and choose at this point how they want to spend the remainder of their funds. Yeah. Absolutely. I think when you look at it with hand, you know, it is a fair question when he moves on from the agent that had clearly made it deep into, I mean, Rosenthal doesn't just like, there's so many accounts on Twitter right now that it happens in every sport, you know, especially I've been covering the the head coaching cycle for football the last couple of weeks. And these random accounts are just making guesses. Like when Rosenthal feels good enough to say that something is, is just about done. There was clearly something there. Now, him being fired could have, you never know. I, I mean, he could have screwed up. He could have, Hand might have not been happy uh, with where things were at. Well, clearly wasn't happy with where things were at, but it makes you wonder what he's thinking. And I think when you look at, 
You know, it's an interesting market for Hand because Liam Hendricks got this deal that, quite frankly, in our eyes, definitely in mine, was unprecedented, right? It's essentially four years, $54 million, which is dynamite money for a reliever in any year, any reliever in any year. Now, he's a hell of a baseball player and good for him. But if you're Brad Hand and you're just looking at your age and your numbers side by side with him in recent history, you're sitting there and thinking, God, I better get at least $40 million right now. And, you know, Joe, you've always explained this to me really well. Sometimes the money just dries up on the free agent market, right? Like there might just be one team out there that's looking to spend half of, a, you know, 50. They're looking to spend $50 million on a reliever. That doesn't mean any of the other teams are even close to that. That's just the way things go. And it's, it's been how I felt about Real Muto for a while where when he didn't want to sign early and the Mets made a full pivot to McCann, it probably put a huge dent in his market. And that's why he's still sitting there right now. I think when you look at it, even the Mets, even Springer waiting so long and the Mets going out and acquiring Lindor and Carrasco and making a lot of other moves along the way, there was a time probably or Springer's agency, if this had lingered longer without the Mets making a splashy move, they probably could have talked the Mets up a little further. But now with the Mets hovering so close to the luxury tax, already making significant additions, and the looming extensions we always talk about on the way, I and this is a good transition because we want to talk about Springer, who's rumored to make a decision sometime this week. I think the Mets are just going to stand pat here and say, listen, man, you can either take what we've put on the table. I think it would be wise to assume it's somewhere in the, the five-year, $110 million range. I would imagine the Blue Jays can get north of that number because they want to be active this offseason and they've been pretty quiet. But for the Mets, you could sit there and go, take it or leave it. Because quite frankly, the Mets, from a, a long-term thinking aspect of Conforto, Syndergaard, Cano's money coming back on the books, you know, maybe Stroman... You're not getting all those guys back, but you'd like to get at least one or two of them into the fold for the long term. You can't get into the $150 million range. And Joe, I know you want to talk about how this can affect the term of the deal and how the annual average might have to be lowered a little bit, kind of like we saw, maybe a lot of it, like we saw with DJ LeMahieu and the Yankees, right? I think that's the easiest way to make it work from the Mets' perspective. And obviously... I've talked with many of you on Twitter and I'm declaring that I'm officially done discussing the luxury tax and not the luxury tax as a whole, because obviously people have questions about it, but I am no longer debating if Steve Cohen is capable or does Steve Cohen care about the luxury tax. That debate is no longer occurring with me. So don't, don't try. Uh, But really, I think the lines, lines in the sand a little bit, you know, they, they won't shoot down the possibility, but both Sandy and Steve Cohen and obviously at the time Jared Porter uh, made it seem like, you know, we could do it if we want to, which they could. Uh, to be clear, as a fan, it's not my money. What do I care? But I unfortunately, by doing what I do, think just a, a little bigger and kind of, you know, big picture and, you know... Th- they're going to have some flexibility issues if they sign Springer kind of almost regardless. You know, what's going to happen with Michael Conforto? You know, if you do pull off signing Conforto, you know, okay, that's fine. You've got Springer and Conforto. That means you're letting both Syndergaard and Stroman go. What do you have in the rotation? So it just really limits what they can do. But the Mets are in. There's no question they're in on Springer. And 
if it is to work, if I were the Mets, what I would do is supposedly Toronto's at 5-115. If I were the Mets, I would say, look, we can maybe go a tick higher overall money, but you know, we have to stretch it over six or seven years. And I know that's a scary thing. You know, think about Springer at seven years, taking him to, you know, 37, 38 years old. That's a scary, that's a scary thing. That's a deal that could fall apart in your face. But if you want to add Springer, I think you have to have that AAV below $20 million. Because I do think that they want to add more starting pitching depth, like we've mentioned. I do think they want to add a bullpen arm. And this, to me, this isn't an agree or disagree situation. The Mets are not going to exceed. I'd be surprised if the Mets exceeded the luxury tax this year. And the Yankees are doing the same thing. The Dodgers are doing the same thing. You know why? Because there is a pending CBA after this year. And Ken Rosenthal has speculated that, you know, in the next CBA, the luxury tax could just go up a lot or it could maybe not even exist, which I, I don't, that's not going to happen. I Ken, I, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> there's no way that there's not going to be a luxury tax. That would just set an awful precedent. That would be a frenzy for like yeah. a handful of teams and awful yeah. for the rest of baseball. Exactly. It would be it would be terrible. So I can't envision that. And the likely situation is that the tax goes up next year. Yes, that that's probably likely. But we also don't know what the penalties will be for exceeding as a second time offender. And the Mets and the Dodgers and the Yankees, I don't think they're going to play that game. I do think the Mets will spend plenty of time above the luxury tax going forward. I just don't think it starts now and it doesn't have to. They need to they need to maintain flexibility. So if, if you're going to work Springer out, you're going to be making kind of an uncomfortable long-term decision, but you'll you'll obviously get some short-term benefit out of it. That that's the only way from my eyes that I see it working, you know, just using basic math. They might think differently and, you know, not care or whatever, but my perspective is if you're going to make Springer work, the AAV needs to be in I don't know the seventeen to eighteen million dollar a year range, which we would be a lot lower than what we projected. I mean, just two months ago, we we thought it would be about ten million dollars higher than that. Quite frankly, and I'm with you. I actually have a little bit more, you know, reservations. I think here, I, I don't know if I'm if I want a thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty nine year old Springer on the Mets roster now. You know, it's not like Cano will be around. You're always going to have one of these when you're a powerhouse uh, buyer in free agency. I mean, you could look around the league. It's just across the board. You know, the Angels with Pujols uh, forever. The Yankees it seem to always have at least one on the roster. Sometimes they don't even play. If you want to be a powerhouse in free agency, typically you're always going to have one of these guys on your roster that seemed like a phenomenal signing at the time but with a, a deal that you know in, in year seven or year eight of the deal that you're looking at it and going, man, I mean, this guy's legs are just not under him anymore. So it, those are the risks you have to take. Now, the problem with it is when you look at it, it it's the short term of it. The long term, like me sitting here thinking about a 38-year-old Springer on the Mets, I mean, whatever, right? Especially if the if the annual average is $17 million a year. 
that won't be anything, quite frankly, in seven years in terms of the baseball luxury tax line and, and the Mets roster and all of those things. They could figure out a way to make that work. That's not a worry at all. Something that you've always brought up, and, and I'm just going to start throwing in questions here that were used for the show because they tie into this conversation, is you have to start worrying about your guys that are, that are destined for free agency and how that would impact it. And, and we have a question from Pat Chamberlain a former loyal listener of Stick to Football and a big Mets fan. And he said, you guys have talked about the Conforto and Syndergaard contracts coming up in the near future. Can you talk more in detail about what you'd expect the values and lengths of those two potential contracts to be based upon comparable precedent? What do you think, Joe? I mean, I think Syndergaard, it's just there's not an answer right now because of the injury. Now, I think with Conforto, I mean, I I think there's some very, very clear thoughts here of where his range sits. So I agree with you in regards to Noah Syndergaard that we have to see. But if he comes back and shows anything, he's going to be a twenty million dollar a year pitcher. That's just he's it. a pitcher you know? and he's in his prime. Yeah, he's a he's a pitcher in his prime, and his upside is through the roof. I mean, I've said it a couple times on this podcast. Like, I don't want Noah Syndergaard to go win the Cy Young in twenty twenty two for the Astros <laughs> or whatever. And like he's perfectly capable of that. So there will be a team willing to pay Noah Syndergaard if he comes back and doesn't look completely shot out. And so to me, I think that's probably like a 20 mil a year type of guy. And Conforto, I think Scott Boris is going to be closely watching the George Springer market because I think that's what he's going to use as a comparison. That's fair. And, you know, it, it, it might – if – Springer gets that impacted by this market to the point where he ends up taking a $17 million year AAV next year. We may be in a different financial landscape. What are the new rules in the CBA? Did we have fans in the stands this year? It sound it sure sounds like at some point in time, you're going to have some level of fans. So the financial landscape should be a little different next year. You know, Conforto would probably come in somewhere around the low twenties. If, if I had to guess, so, you know, th- these are going to be expensive players, and you can only have so many players making $20 million a year on your roster, you know, before the rest of your roster stinks. And this is not the NBA. And the Mets don't have the farm system that a Dodgers do, that a San Diego Padres do, where, all right, we can load up on some stars because we have all of this premium, you know, veteran minimum depth. The Mets don't have that. So, they're going to put themselves in a real pickle if they, you know, keep issuing out these big money deals and, you know, it's going to hurt their depth and their overall team. And you're going to be too reliant on star power. And, you know, that works in the NBA. That doesn't work in a 162 game season with a 25 man roster, a 40 man roster, all, all these things that you need, you know, the more guys you have that contracts start with a 20, you know, per year, it limits your ability to add anything. I mean, look at this offseason. The Yankees obviously were able to squeeze LeMahieu and Corey Kluber in, but, you know, the Yankees are typically a team that's willing to spend whatever, but they have, you know, so many guys making money at this point that, you know, there was limits to what they could do this offseason. And you want to maintain that flexibility so that every offseason, you know, you can maneuver for a certain guy. You know, Frank Francisco Lindor, you know, if a player like that comes available again in the future, you want to be able to capitalize on that. You know, if you have a premium free agent that you want to address 
you don't want to have a year that there's a premium free agent at a position of dire need that you're like, well, you know, we can't afford it. You know, well, afford's not the right word, but we can't fit it into the budget. Because Steve Cohen can afford basically every player he wants if he really, really wanted to. But, you know, you ha- at some point we have to take Steve Cohen at his word where he said we're not going to spend like drunken sailors, flexibility, you know, keeping, being able to win in three to five years. It, it's not the most important thing in the world to win in year one. I know people won't like to hear that, but that, that's not how they're building. They're not building for right this very second. They're building to be a sustainable winner over a lengthy period of time. So, yeah, that's where I think question, um, as far as the question goes with Conforto and Syndergaard money, I think they both start with a two. Well, yeah, I think that's the hard thing to put aside in all of this, right, is that, listen, I want the Mets more than anything to win a World Series, but just because Cohen's here, I'm not expecting it to be this year, right? Now, I think it's tricky, right? Like, are they in trouble a little bit in center field if they don't get Springer? Yes, it's not ideal having Nimmo there. We've we've gone over this many, many a times. Now, I think when you look at it, what you have to ask yourself is now I I can't get inside the mind of Scott Boris, right? You know, that's one that is very, very tricky. Now, when you look at it though, it's pretty simple here. Springer's 31. Conforto will turn 28 this in March. I, I mean, if you're just simply narrowing it down, and, and I know it's not this simple because the Mets have a lot of people in those walls now, that, like Sandy Alderson that are smarter than me for the long term of this planning. But if you're just narrowing it down, hey, we got to essentially pick one of these guys to keep because we're only allocating so much of our budget to the outfield. I mean, you look at that deal. Let's assume Conforto gets what, Joe? A five or six year deal? That's going to age a lot more nicely. If it expires when he's 33 or 34 compared to Springer, that deal's going to expire at 37, 38, 39. I'm not trying to make this so simple where you just pick a guy based on age, but that's how sports can go a lot of times when you have very, very productive players. And I know Springer is an upside defender in center field, which absolutely comes into play here. But once again, I just think when you look at it, you know, you're going to have holes somewhere, especially with the way the Mets were acquired. Uh, The Mets were a good team to buy because they're not, you know, like a roster like the Pirates. But they're also not like the Dodgers. There's naturally going to be holes here, especially because of the lack of pro-ready talent in the farm system. A lot of the Mets' talent, as we've talked about before, will be in Brooklyn this year, which is not ready to play in the major leagues in the next year. So I don't mean to just simplify that question, but I do think it's it's how I've started to look at it a little bit. And if you do think you can keep both of them, well, then you're, you're taking money from somewhere else. And and I would probably start with Noah Syndergaard and, and, and Stroman there as well. And it kind of brings me into the next question here, which is a, it's a good one because it's a name that we have not talked about on the show yet. This is from Jay Pens for Real 21. If the Mets can't land Springer, would they be able to make a move for Lorenzo Kane? I know Joel Sherman recommended that when he wrote an article about, I think, center field options and some other things that the Mets were doing. He even mentioned like a hypothetical of do the Brewers want out of Lorenzo Cain's money in 2022 so badly that they will do a near financial wash with the Mets and take Jairus Samilia and Dellen Batances 
and then get a middling prospect, I believe is the words that Joel used. And I guess if that's the price, fine. But, you know, it's not quite the same long-term issue, but it's ultimately the same 2022 issue, in a sense, where, where we're talking with Springer. So, I mean, Springer obviously would be signed for five more years after that, so that's obviously a big factor. But Lorenzo Cain is going to cost you $18 million in 2022. That's that's another big salary. It's only for a year, so you stomach it, probably. But yeah, I mean, if he's available and they want to basically give him to me, okay, fine. I mean, Lorenzo Cain uh, opted out this year after I think he played a couple games and then he opted out. But, you know, the two, three years prior, he's the best, arguably the best defensive center fielder in baseball. So he's going to bring that defense that you want. He hits right-handed. You know, he has some average skills, some OBP skills. He's not really much of a power hitter, um, but he could run the bases. So Lorenzo Cain's a guy that I really liked when he was a free agent. And if the Mets could get him, I'm, I'm intrigued. It just it just really has to be the right deal. And I even if Milwaukee wants out of his 2022 money, I can't imagine they just give him away for two bad relievers. It's just two bad expensive relievers. So I don't know if... You know, that specific deal is realistic, but if Lorenzo Cain's obtainable at a reasonable price, you know, it's it's certainly something that I would I would talk about. Yeah, I think you can make that work a little easier because yes, you do have the thorn that would be two thousand twenty two. And I don't even know if I want to call it that because I think Kane can be a pretty productive solution the next two years. But I think when you're looking at it, you're just wondering how your two thousand twenty two money is going to work now. It all comes back to Cano so many times, and I don't even have a, an idea of how to unload that money that doesn't involve some kind of legal chase. But that's really what the the issue of it is, right, is that you're still stuck with that money that year where you're not really gaining a ton of financial flexibility in 2022, but you do have to like that that opens up your door much more nicely in 23, 24 and when you wouldn't have that Springer money there, and of course you might have a guy, it's probably a little early, but a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong was purely drafted to be the Mets' future center fielder. So that's how you're going to see some of the acquisitions the Mets make come into play here. Now, like I said, these guys are an A-ball where it makes it a much more difficult projection, right? We have expectations that Alvarez will be the catcher of the future for the Mets, and Matt Allen will be in the rotation, and that Pete Crow Armstrong could be the center fielder of the future. But one, those are projections that are very far away because they're all three very young prospects. And number two, they only have a handful of guys like that. That's the thing, right? There's just not a ton of players at needy positions for the Mets that truly fit the bill of, okay, we think in three years this is going to be the dude. And and that's a dangerous game in its own way. So definitely an interesting name to keep an eye on. I, I would think the Mets are not done in the trade market yet especially if they do not sign Springer. All right, this question, this is such a, a Joe question, and, and it's fair because I think our audience, we talk about it so much without really going into detail. This is from BJ War 301 Please explain the penalty of exceeding the luxury tax. Everyone talks about it, but do we really think Cohen is sweating the ramifications of blowing past the number to strengthen the team on the field? So penalties, it really depends. I mean, if we're talking about first-time offender, you know, it's 20% of 
the money that you go over up until I believe 40 million and then at 40 million that number jumps to 30% and you drop 10 slots in the in the draft. So the Mets pick 10th, they would pick 20th instead. Um, so I know that's a penalty that that's in place. It's just Steve Cohen can stomach it. So that that's really not the debate here. You know, I'm very aware of how much money Steve Cohen has. He doesn't care about a financial penalty. If we were not at the precipice of a new CBA, this conversation would be drastically different because I would be able to tell you the penalties are this right now and then next year as a repeat offender. So if they went over this year and went over next year, you know, I could tell you exactly what those penalties are. I'm not able to do that because there's a new CBA coming. So I have no idea what the penalties are for next year. The Mets don't either. And that's why you see some of these big market teams shying away from going over to tax for this year is let's, because once you go over, if you stay under for a year, then your clock restarts. So you could go over, let's just call it three years in a row, take a year off, and then you're a first-time offender again. So you're able to manipulate, obviously, that way. But yeah, it's just the unknown. And teams don't like to take chances on the unknown. And I understand the question. Um, I understand fans not caring because it's not their money. Uh, but that's how I that's how I understand the Mets thinking is, look, the penalties themselves aren't a big deal. Steve Cohen wouldn't care about paying a $20 million fee. He paid $1.9 billion to the SEC without even batting an eye. So, like, that won't be a problem. The, finance, the finances aren't the issue here. It's just they need, to, they need to look ahead, and then next year you'll have a clear-cut idea of what the luxury tax rules are starting in 2022 and going forward. So that way you can, you know, be measured in your approach and say, all right, in 2022, we're going to go over because we want to keep Conforto and Syndergaard. So we're going to go over because we need to keep those guys. And then, all right, is there a path in 2023 to where we can, you know, go under and reset? Or we repeat for a second year and deal with, you know, the penalties that they are then, and then maybe go under in 2024. So I would say from a luxury tax perspective, I wouldn't look to see the Mets being over the luxury tax every year for all of creation after this year. Uh, you will see gears where they, you know, kind of drop under and then they'll go back over. And, you know, that's how that's how the big market teams really work. So, yeah, penalty wise, I could tell you what it would be for this year. I can't tell you what next year means because we don't know. And that's something that clearly makes all of this so much more difficult right now is that, you know, I think Cohen is a guy that's shown he's willing to be aggressive on player acquisition immediately and that they don't really have much of a fear. It seems like the Mets are not in this constant, you know, uh, turtling of, oh my God, what are we going to be able to do next year if we do all this now? They're just kind of making moves and putting their foot on the gas and, and they're like, hey, we'll figure this thing out. But there is a limit because of exactly what you explained. And I think that it's why if they get a deal done with Springer, you'll see it. It probably won't look like what you expect it to be. Like Joe is really hammered home. It'll either be just quite frankly lower than we thought, because that's how high the Mets could have gotten. Or it'll look really strange that it's, Hey, it's a six year deal. And the annual average is way lower per year. He's not a $27 million per year player. But they able they were able to just add on a year or two more than they thought. 
uh, to keep that number down per year. So it's an interesting part of the puzzle in, in all of this and one that is clearly missing a couple pieces right now because of the long-term future. All right, the last question for the show today, this is kind of a fun one and something I've thought about recently. It's from James Costanzo. Between Steve Cohen's revival of the Mets, solid to the Jets, plus Deshaun Watson trade talk, and the respectable Knicks, a New York sports renaissance feels possible. I haven't been this optimistic in a decade. Thoughts on a strange, fun time to be a New York fan? So I love this question, and it's something I've thought about actually more so with the Rangers in the equation since they got the number one overall pick to take Alexi Lafreniere, which was just a bizarre lottery process in the NHL this year, especially with a star player in that class with the number one overall pick. So I really started thinking about this when the Jets were in line to get Trevor Lawrence, and obviously then that didn't happen, and everyone's optimistic again because I think Salah's a good hire. Uh, I'm not counting on a Deshaun Watson trade, but the talks are fun. And even if they don't get him, the number two pick is also fun. So I've been watching every Knicks game this year. And, you know, they I grew up a huge Knicks fan as a kid. And in years uh, recently, they have lost me at times for very obvious reasons. I think that, you know, Thibodeau and a very, very young roster are, are, are fun to watch. They're competitive, very, very competitive. But most importantly, Cohen's arrival has shaped the Mets into being, quite frankly, the talk of town, right? I mean, the Jets and Giants are coming off. I I understand the Giants almost snuck into the playoffs. They were not any good this year. I'm sorry, guys. Um, You know, obviously better than the Jets. But the point is, New York football, not counting the Bills, is not very good at the moment. With optimism to turn around, yes. The Knicks are surprising a lot of people. The Islanders and Rangers are, are very competitive teams. I think there's a chance of a New York sports renaissance. It has not been a good decade, quite frankly. You know, there's been some bright moments here and there. And even for the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees did not win a World Series this decade. There's just not a lot of times we can go out and say that. It's actually remarkable. So, I agree. And I think the Mets are a huge part of that equation if they can get things right. Now, we're excited about the player acquisition. Um, You know, they've already dealt with a little bit of turmoil here. They're, they fired their general manager, who was not on the job very long, and for good reason. But I, I do think it's an interesting topic where, yes to all of the teams he pointed out, and just in general, but most importantly, when the Mets and the Yankees are both good, it feels like New York sports matter. Right, Joe? Yeah. I mean, th- this was a Connor question. If, you know, uh, so, so often these questions come in and, you know what? You always go, well, this is a Joe question if I've ever heard one. Yes. <laughs> this was a Connor question. Cause, you got the luxury you know, tax. I get the yeah, New York sports. It's, I mean, because, I mean, to be transparent about my fanhood, I'm obviously a diehard Mets fan. Um, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan in football. I don't have a hockey or a basketball team. I just kind of very casually watch. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm cognizant. I'm in the area. I, I listen. And, you know, the excitement around Robert Sala is obviously very strong. I know you're excited about that one for sure. And Deshaun Watson, you know, I don't know if they're going to get Deshaun Watson. But, you know, he's liking pictures of New York back pages and, and all that. And, you know, the Knicks got Obi Toppin to go with R.J. Barrett and Mitch Robinson and, and those guys. And I know that Lafreniere is an exciting player. But... You know, just from the baseball perspective, which is kind of more my expertise in the New York area, I'd say, is, yeah, no, 100%. Mets and Yankees, that lights up the city. 
more so than if the Giants and Jets were both playoff teams, it wouldn't light up the same as if the Mets and Yankees were playoff teams. It's just it's just a different thing. Like New York is a baseball city, and you know there's two teams here, one of which has had very very minimal success. You know, and then another one that is consistently good, but hasn't been to the top of the mountain where they are expected to be every year. So, yeah, I think I think it could be a good time for New York sports uh, going forward. And, you know, I hope so because, you know, I listen to the fan and, you know, I have, you know, friends like Connor, you know, or, you know, he's a Jets fan and a Knicks fan and a Rangers fan. So, like, you know, I'm rooting for those teams, you know, for Connor. But, yeah, I, I think it, there's a chance. There's, there's some exciting things going on, but... You're also naming some teams that have found ways to screw everything up. Yes. Nets, Jets, Knicks, Rangers. So um, Rangers maybe a little less so, but these are teams that routinely screw things up. So I'm not going to get my hopes too, too high, but, you know, it's possible. And if you're a fan of those teams, like I assume James is, you know, get excited. Screw it. It's sports. It's supposed to be fun. That's a great way to put it. And I do appreciate your support. And, and I have to say, Joe's like a real Cowboys fan, not one of those, like, just comes and goes and they're America's team cat. Like he's a genuinely diehard been there for the hard times. Cowboys. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a loser. Like I I'm texting Connor about undrafted free agents and and things like that. Like I'm in the weeds with the Cowboys. So I'm super into them. Um, but yeah, they, they need to get their stuff together too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how this podcast started. Mostly just from football talk, turning into MLB draft talk into Mets talk. So I mean, listen, I hope it is a New York sports renaissance, and I hope that, quite frankly, it starts with the Mets, right? Because, I mean, the Yankees have been very good recently. There's no denying that, but there's, like, an expectation for the Yankees to be good. Like, when they're not, it's like everybody's, like, head is on fire. People get really, really mad. The Knicks just have not had expectations recently. The Jets and Giants have really not had expectations recently or have fallen short of them. So I think the Mets can kind of be the key cog here because quite frankly, they've drafted well this last decade. They do have very young, exciting players. I think our argument most of the time with the Mets was they were cheap. So they never filled the holes the right way in free agency. And number two, them being cheap actually impacted a lot of the, front office decisions, right? Like when you look at Sandy, obviously getting Sandy here was huge the first time around, but Jeff being involved with baseball decisions and the hire of Brody and a lot of different things. I mean, trading prospects and just not doing budgets the right way, not having an analytics department. Like we always say, you know, you could sit here and say, oh, the Mets, the Mets didn't win because they had bad owners that are cheap. Yes, that is that is true, but there are a lot of teams in baseball that don't have a ton of money. The problem with the Mets was they didn't also have the right baseball people in there at all times. And now with Cohen, uh, I think he's put his ego aside to get, you know, Sandy really running things. Not being a guy that is, you know, stuck following the Will Pond's orders or these cost-cutting moves all the time, things like that. It feels like there is... A, a much more flexible budget with a baseball man at the top of it. And I think that's the most important thing. So Joe, closing thoughts, episode number 26. Yeah. So a couple closing thoughts. Uh, one, you know, certainly we talked about everything at, at the beginning with Jared Porter. So uh, just like kind of reiterate what Connor said, you know, if you're a female listener to this show and 
you know, this is a topic that, I mean, you're interested in voicing your opinion on, like, it doesn't have to be a question of the week. It could be a comment of the week or whatever that, you know, you reach out and tell us what you think. And, you know, I I want your perspective too, because I mean, I'm a guy, I can't, I can't resonate, you know, that kind of thing can't, isn't likely to happen to me. So, uh, yeah, we want some female, you know, female listeners. If, if you're out there, uh, you know, please feel free to throw your comments uh, our way so we can, you know, continue to grow from this because, you know, I, I don't stand for what Jared Porter did. I know Connor doesn't as well. So, you know, we want to we want to help you guys out for sure if we can. And then on a, I guess, lighter note, if this George Springer decision is coming this week, what do you think is is are, are we doing an emergency podcast this week that George Springer's in New York met? Uh, well, if he if they sign him, we're doing it. That much well, I know. Uh, yes, yes. But, <laughs> so I are, think are it's we going signing to him in order to have a emergency <sighs> podcast? You know what? And I know you said this as well. My gut feeling is that George Springer will be a Met. I and I will be happy. Obviously, we want George Springer here. The Met. It's an exciting ad for the Mets if it happens. I will be very, very impatient and even a little nervous to see what the deal looks like. But I just think, Joe, that this has gone on so long because I think he wants to be a Met. Now, if if Boston was in this or the Yankees were in this, I think they would have just as much, if not more, than a shot. I just am not convinced he wants to go to Toronto or wherever they're going to play their baseball games this year. And I think unless there's a mystery team and every single national reporter is saying it's the Mets and the Blue Jays, my gut feeling is George Springer will be a Met. Yeah. And I, I'm actually going to say that I, I, it, I feel the wind's blowing that way. Uh, I think Toronto obviously can't be discounted. They, they're, I would imagine Toronto will have the bigger financial offer on the table, and George Springer will have to decide if that's worth it. Uh, John Heyman said that the Mets are in nine figures too, so that could be the Mets could be just offering straight up hundred million, and you know the Blue Jays are at one fifteen. So he he'll have a financial decision to make, but it feels like the winds are blowing in the Mets' direction. So I'll go with it. I'll go with it. I think George Springer ends up a Met. Yeah, it'll be if that happens. It'll be exciting. If not, everything's going to be okay. I promise it's going to be okay. But it would be exciting, as always. Uh, there will be emergency pods for a big edition. I can't. I can't promise like a Brad Hand emergency pod. As much as I, I, we are sick enough that we would consider it, it things are just a little busy right now for the Brad Hand emergency pod. And I think the day it was reported he was signing might have actually been the day or the day before we were supposed to record anyway. So we thought we were getting lucky for once. But there will be a George Springer one if it happens. And, of course, there is going to be a That's So Mets podcast uh, every Wednesday that you check wherever you get your podcast. So we're not going anywhere. It's only getting bigger and better. We'll see what the season brings. Stick with us, and we'll catch you next week. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.